Welcome back to part two of chapter 16, Verity's Ships. In this episode, we're picking up where we left off in part one, where Fitz just heard a warning from Verity that red ships were attacking a nearby island. So they're turning to Antler Island here, and they are turning the channel. They're following Verity's instructions, and Fitz is like, and it's happening just as Verity said it would. The channel's taking us, and we're going pretty good. <laughs> right. Also, this does... <laughs> this does have me asking a few questions like can Verity read the waters without being physically there? Is this part of the skill? Or is this something that he's skilling from the mind of the captain? Maybe that. It could also be that he just has had to study the waters because I guess. he's, well, the, he's I, like the tactician. <laughs> I'm no expert, but on Moana, you have to touch the water to know. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> um, you know, that sounds perfectly factual to me. I mean, maybe you can tell by looking at it. I don't know. Well, I guess you'd have to. Boats know what yeah. currents look like, right? Presumably. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I've never driven a boat. <laughs> So they are sailing towards this island, Antler Island, and they're still in a bunch of fog. Yes. I would like to say Antler Island would be a really cool amusement park name, um, <laughs> but yeah, not, not so fun, the place they're going to. Not quite as fun as an amusement park, no. <laughs> a little bit different excitement going it's on there. A little bit different type of adrenaline. Yeah. So they don't know how long they rode. Um, all senses were distorted by the fog, but soon Night Eyes whispered that there was a tinge of smoke in the air, and almost immediately we became aware of the cries of men in battle, carrying clear but ghostly through the fog. I saw Jark the make, mate exchange glances with the master. Put your backs into it, he snarled suddenly. We've got a red ship attacking our tower. And so they're pulling up on this, this battle. Yeah. And they're hearing all of these screams. Fitz has a sudden strength leap up in him. And about him, he saw the same from the other members of the crew. Clenched jaws, the muscles that knotted and sprang as we rode. Even a different tang to the sweat of those who labored around me. If we had been one creature before, we were now part of the same enraged beast. I felt the leap of the heating anger igniting and spreading. It was a wit thing, a surging of hearts on the animal level that flooded us with hate. See, and that's where, partially where I get, or I think that it's more wit-related than skill-related, because right. it's that same feeling of connectedness, but now Fitz is sen sensing that anger that is sparking through everybody. Mm -hmm. Well, it's probably pretty rare that he's around a large group of people that are content <laughs> mm -hmm. so before it'd be harder to place as something that he's feeling with the wit they get on shore justin stays with the boat but everyone else grabs weapons because he is skilling towards serene saying what's happening because he thinks that he needs to skill serene and then serene needs to tell verity mm -hmm. for them to know so that verity can be aware yes and they charge up this beach yeah so it points out because of the fog they have an advantage 
Also, the Red Ship Raiders don't expect to be caught, so they're not really yeah. watching their backs. So not only do they have the advantage of the fog covering them sneaking up, they also have the advantage of a enemy caught unawares. Confident, swaggering, laughing, and talking like workmen completing a task. Guardians of the Tower were cornered. It had been built as a signal light, not as a defensible rampart. and It was only a matter of time before all the cornered men were dead. Fitz gives a cry between a whoop and a howl. Terrible fear and vengeful joy merged into one sound. The emotions of those who ran beside me found vent in me and spurred me on. The attackers turned to see us as we closed with them. We caught the raiders between us. Our ship's crew outnumbered them, and at the sight of us, the beleaguered defenders of the tower took heart and poured forth themselves. Scattered bodies about the tower gate attested to several efforts before this one. And so they're trying to catch them in between the jaws of the tower and the defenders running up to attack the raiders. Yes. And this whole feeling is just driving Fitz onward. This whole anger, this whole need to lead. If I thought I had been one with the crew before, I was now engulfed in them. Emotions battered and thrust me forward. I will never know how much or which feelings were my own. They overwhelmed me, and Fitz's chivalry was lost in them. I became the emotions of the crew. Axe raised, roaring, I led the way. I had no desire for the position I had seized. Instead, I was thrust forward by the crew's extreme desire for someone to follow. I suddenly wanted to kill as many raiders as I could, as fast as I could. This is such an interesting thing. And it makes me wonder if Fitz can put walls up at all for the wit. Because he loses himself, the sense of himself completely. He is so caught up. And to be fair, there is a lot of very strong emotions right now. Oh, yeah. It isn't a normal walk in the park. one singular emotion, pretty much. Yeah, a lot of similar angry emotions (laughs) bubbling around. And I'm sure both sides are feeling anger and um, a will to fight. So it's just... It makes me wonder how much control Fitz. We know Fitz has walls put up, but it seems as though those walls don't. They're they're mostly skill walls, I yeah. think, because the wit walls. We we learn with Black Rolf when he goes to train with him a little mm-hmm. bit and learn more about the wit that he doesn't really have any. Yeah. Because he describes separating himself from night eyes so much that they can barely hear one another. Mm-hmm. And then black, black Ralph is still like, that's not enough walls in between you two. Like yeah. your bond is way too close. And it's, it's just fits how he's always been, mm-hmm. which is interesting because Fitz himself. Isn't necessarily a very open person in a talking way. Emotionally, he's more open than I think people realize But I wonder if because of how open he is with his emotions and how much he can feel of others, that really stunts the growth needed to realize how important talking things out is. He just knows the feelings of people, so why would he need to talk anything out? (laughs) 
I don't know. It's just... And he probably wouldn't want to talk things out because he would feel the reactions from the other people. And that's... Right. And if they It would be too uncomfortable. Right. And it would be annoying if you could feel someone misunderstanding what you say and exactly how they're taking it. I'd be annoyed all the time. That's (laughs) not at all what I meant. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So I just thought it was interesting to point out that he's lost all sense of himself because they're... Seems to be no barrier between him and emotions. Other people's, not his own. Yeah. And he kind of goes into how he loses his mind in this fight. That he had heard of berserkers before. That they were animalistic brutes, powered by bloodlust, insensitive to the damage they wrought. But he posits that perhaps instead they were oversensitized, unable to defend their own minds from the emotions that rushed in to drive them, unable to heed the pain signals of their own body. He doesn't really know. And he doesn't really remember much of the fight. He just has heard stories of himself, even a song. Mm -hmm. And I think Starling is the one who writes that. Yeah, I think that's her claim to fame. I do not recall that I frothed and roared as I fought. But neither do I recall that I did not. Somewhere within me were both Verity and Night Eyes, but they too were drowned in the passions of those around me. I know I killed the first raider that went down before our mad rush. I also know that I finished the last man standing, in a battle we fought axe to axe. And the battle ends, and all of a sudden, from anger... The desire to fight, it changes to victory and joy, and Fitz can't take that change so sudden. So he kind of goes aside and just sits down. The anger had abandoned me as suddenly as Karis Seed leaves an addict. I felt drained and disoriented, as if I had wakened from one dream into another. It would be really hard to deal with that to take on so much emotions of others it's like empath to the millionth level (laughs) you'd be exhausted yeah i mean it's exhausting just talking to someone who has a very strong emotion (laughs) yeah i can't imagine if i could literally feel that emotion (laughs) (laughs) Um, but i think it is interesting how the negative emotions drain him so much it seems like the joy isn't necessarily helping to revive him at all but it's also not negatively deterring him you know what i mean like there's no negative reaction to the joy it just like shows how powerful negative emotions can be and that they like kind of take a lot from you (laughs) Mm -hmm. and our islander from the crew brought him water and walked him clear of the bodies so he could sit down and drink he went back into the, the, the pile of bodies and the looting and then brought Fitz back a medallion. It was hammered gold on a silver chain, a crescent moon. When I did not reach to take it from him, he looped it over the gory head of my axe. It was Herrick's, he said, finding the six duchy's words slowly. You fought him well. He died well. He'd want you to have it. He was a good man before the Corix took his heart. I did not even ask him which one had been Herrick. I did not want any of them to have names. And I thought that was one a passage that showed how this was affecting Fitz. Mm-hmm. And how 
deeply and we see later on in a couple pages that this is not a good experience for no. Fitz at all. No. But also I I want to point out maybe a double meaning to some of these words because they don't really know what the out islanders are saying in terms of their culture or mm -hmm. what forging is or anything like that. It says he'd want you to have it. He was a good man before the Corix took his heart. I vaguely remember the out islanders referring to someone like close to them as their heart, right? Like either their daughter or their wives or something yeah. like that. It's not necessarily like, oh, these people took like his literal physical, yeah, you know, will to live forged. or anything. Yeah. yeah. But he They they and we know that the the red ships or at least uh Kebel Rawbread and the pale woman mm -hmm. kidnapped women from the the mother the mother houses yeah. and held them hostage and said we will forge these people unless you fight for us kind of thing right and if you betray us we will forge them and that's mm -hmm. why they all died and <laughs> yeah because forging is literally the worst thing that they could do and ruining the mother houses yeah, ruins well, their whole clan yeah because the mother houses are important that's like yeah. the biggest part of their culture so yeah that is a really good catch so it's it's just a, a misunderstanding of what they really mean. Because the first time reading, even the second time reading this, I didn't really catch that at all. Yeah. But this time through, I was actually looking for things. And <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's... I seem to recall that phrase somewhere. It could be from a different book. I could mm -hmm. be misremembering it. But it is. it could be something that... I think maybe the Narcheska uses it. Possibly. It could be wrong, but... Or Peter, the um, her uncle. Yes. I, I don't know. I just don't remember. We'll have to wait six books to get there. <laughs> Seven books, technically. So Fitz takes some time and finally is starting to feel alive again, he says. So the shock isn't as long this time as it was with the Forged One encounter mm -hmm. in the woods. And they are cleaning up a bit. Do you think this shock comes from him seeing the aftermath of the killing because before the forged one attack in the prior chapters he mostly just poisons people they he, he had killed a few hand to hand mm -hmm. the ones with night eyes and the ones when he was alone on the the road right doing the, during the skill thing but they were very few and not like those also seemed to leave him shaken a little bit but right. i wonder if part of this is just how many bodies there are i mean that would affect anybody right no I not saying it wouldn't <laughs> i think it's a combination of a lot of things one the wit emotion of everything mm -hmm. happening of feeling that many people die yeah to you know knowing you contributed to that and the mental toll it must take on you right. to be a part of something like that and and also just just being a young kid and that's the first time you see and kill men not forged ones yeah but men not enemies of the state 
that were yeah i mean i guess they are enemies of the they state, are but actually enemies of the state right but not like <laughs> in a sophisticated way yeah you know this isn't like this isn't a king's justice poisoning this is a thing that had to be done you are taking it upon yourself to kill yeah. all these people and they are thinking feeling men and you are you can feel their life in yeah. front of you with your senses and with your magic and now you've heard that that one guy you killed, he's a real guy, and he had feelings and a life and was mm-hmm. actually a pretty decent person once upon a time. Yeah. Which is sad. Also, thinking about the Out Islanders who are joining these raids, like, that's... Mm-hmm. That's their that's families. Another some, bundle probably. of emotion. Yeah. Friends, at least. Yeah. They've probably, you know, drank and partied together and... <laughs> Yeah. maybe raided together and maybe fought one another once in a while but mm-hmm. still like it's they're friends <laughs> they know each other <laughs> yeah yeah this war is just so messy in so many ways they clean up a bit and they are kind of finishing piling the bodies together and they see a big group of fishing boats with more people coming ready ready to fight and being kind of disappointed that they weren't able to join in time for the fight because Verity immediately sent more people. Mm-hmm. But they are excited to find that there is a red ship boat for them yes. to take back home. There is a fully operational raider boat. Yeah, which is needed. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Considering they only have four boats. Yes. Now they have five. Now they have five. And when Rurisk sails back into port, Verity already has another uh, double crew ready to sail back out to Antler Island to sail there, man the crew, uh, man the the new boat and sail that back as well. And, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, carry the dead and and get all the wounded and everything like that and pretty much fix everything up. So everything is organized and they get back into port. And it's a celebratory kind of feeling i'm sure this is i I don't blame literally anybody for celebrating it's a horrible thing that we see through fitz's eyes Mm -hmm. because that's our lens that's our perspective for the world but for the rest of the town this is the first victory that they've ever had against these raiders yeah they were actually able to kill some of these raiders Mm -hmm. they they did what they signed up for they captured one of the boats this is the end of the war in sight Mm mm-hmm Verity is fulfilling his promises. (laughs) Yeah, it gives everybody hope momentarily. And all the innkeepers want to give all the soldiers ale. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, Which Fitz takes very excitedly, I guess. (laughs) Not excitedly, but... I wouldn't say excitedly, but he drinks a lot probably because of how he's feeling. Yeah. And learned behavior, you know, from Beric. Mm -hmm. But also, like, right before this, he realizes that he can't sense Verity anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and he just drowns his whole feelings away because yeah. he's not connected to his king anymore. He's not summoned because the coterie members are summoned. Right. So and he just gladly joins his crew and goes off. Yeah. And he takes puke and rally to a, hu- a whole new level because he pukes twice <laughs> and still goes back for more drink. Yeah. Which is so gross. And he's found by Burek the next morning. Eric is very sober. Well, before this night, I was, uh, in the back of his mind was frantic. Poison, that water is poisoned. 
I couldn't frame a thought to reassure him, which is really sad. Yeah. Because he's just like a one and a half year old pup. Yeah. What <laughs> it's a like, good hey, pup. my pack brother is dying from <laughs> something he's doing to himself. Like, don't yeah. do this. Don't drink. That water is making you throw up. Stop. <laughs> don't be so dumb. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, Fitz. Yeah, but Birk finds him stonily sober and his eyes were anxious. In the street outside the tavern, he stopped by a dying torch in a street sconce. There's still blood on your face, he told me, and stood me up straight. He took out his handkerchief, dipped it in a rain barrel, and wiped my face as he had not since I was a child. I swayed under his touch. I looked into his eyes and forced my gaze to focus. I've killed before, I said helplessly. Why is this so different? Why does it sicken me like this afterward? Because it does, he said softly. He put an arm around my shoulders, and I was surprised we were of a height. The walk back to Buckheap was steep, very long, very quiet. He sent me to the baths and told me to go to bed afterward. He doesn't. No. He goes to Molly's room where she turns him away almost crying like i'm i'm told you before i'm not gonna kiss a drunk Mm -hmm. and i'm not gonna let you touch me like just go to bed and you know fitz tries to say i'm not drunk that way which is not true um but molly says there's only one way to be drunk and kicks him out and he realizes by noon the next day uh he knew how much he had hurt her by not coming straight to her to find comfort I could understand what she felt, but I also knew that what I had carried that night was nothing to take home to someone you loved. I wanted to explain that to her. But then he was called away to, to the Rursk. Yes. Which, I mean, that sentiment is nice, but also, like, you lean on your loved ones when you need them. Yes, that is... I mean, it's not necessarily you something you want to bring home, no, but, also, <laughs> but also you need to talk about it. Yes, it's healthy to talk to your loved one. Even if he couldn't talk to Molly about it, he could have talked to Burek. Yeah. He could have talked to Verity. Maybe not Verity because he's a little busy, but, but Burek at least. And Molly might not understand, but she could be there for him to just comfort him. I don't know. His singleness of mind when pursuing Molly is kind of sad. Yeah. Because it feels like all he cares about is keeping her peer on a pedestal and away from his whole life. Yes. <laughs> and then also getting some fun times out of it at night. <laughs> yeah. There's no substance to this relationship that we can tell. They don't seem to pillow talk. They do, they do. Oh, okay. he, he mentions that they have like a piece afterwards and just kind of like talk and yeah it comes on a, i think a, maybe they talk about it a little bit later yeah i guess well they talk about or how maybe he, he talks about how they before. argue but i mean before this i don't know that we really see them like talk a ton about each other or their <laughs> lives so i don't know it just is frustrating to watch <laughs> but on his way down to the rurisk he stops at the stables and Burek is there, and he hands the crescent moon that he got from the Out Islander to Burek and asks him to keep it there and keep it safe. He says, I want you to hold on to it for me 
what I make doing this, it's for Molly. So if I ever don't come back, you be certain she gets it. She doesn't like being a servant. Which is nice of him to think about Mm -hmm. that he's getting some monetary value from this and he might as well set it aside for Molly, but he probably could have left it with Molly. (laughs) Right. Um, I don't know. I don't think she would have taken it. No, but not even for safekeeping. I don't think she would have taken it. Do you think she would have taken it after his death? (laughs) Probably not, but maybe. I don't know. Depending on how it was phrased. (laughs) (laughs) Good luck, Burek. (laughs) Yeah, Burek's not going to be the one to phrase that correctly. No. Um, No. So, (laughs) Burek takes this time to say, what would your father say to me? And Fitz, in no mood to play that game, says, I don't know. I told him bluntly, I never knew him. Only you. Fitz chivalry? I turned back to him. Burek met my eye as he spoke. I don't know what he'd say to me, but I know I can say this for him to you. I'm proud of you. It's not the kind of work a man does that he says he can be proud or not. It's how he does it. Be proud of yourself. I will try, I told him quietly, and I went back to my ship. This part makes me cry. (laughs) Because Furek is... The I'm proud of you is just so sweet and what Fitz needed more of throughout his life yeah (laughs) but also telling that Burek has to use the guise of chivalry to say something caring to Fitz that isn't like have better hygiene and girls are watching you when you don't (laughs) think they are (laughs) um but it is nice to still see that relationship and see him say i'm proud of you too fits it just shows the consistency of birik's character throughout all of her writing as well because we've spoken before on how birik doesn't feel like he can be a father figure mm-hmm. to fits because his self-esteem is not in that position to accept that responsibility really He'll do it because he was ordered to and his like favorite person said, yeah, take take care of my son for me. Mm-hmm. And that's all of his focus. He can't he can't step above and like, actually, I did OK. And he is like my son. It's this is chivalry's son could never be mine because I'm just a stable, stable master kind of thing. Yeah. And I it just shows a very sad consistency to his character, but it is a beautiful scene because he does, even though he, he couches it with, you know, I'll speak for your father, but I'm proud of you. Yeah. Not he would be proud of you. Yeah. I am proud of you. Doesn't do much for Fitz right now, but (laughs) it is a nice sentiment. Fitz goes into the next encounters that they've had with Red Ship Raiders. So that was the cleanest battle that they've ever had. Mm-hmm. And the next one, they encountered them on the open sea and had more of a skirmish where they ultimately took the ship. But since 
they didn't catch them unaware, they lost more men than the Red Ship Raiders lost, and the Red Ship Raiders were able to set fire to the ship before they could capture it fully. Yeah. And so it was a victory, but not complete, and that was the last victory that the Rurisk ever had. Right. No, there's one other. Oh, no, yeah, you're right, that was the last clear victory. Yeah. There's one other story, I guess. Yeah, there's one other story, <laughs> Sorry, but this, yeah. was, this was the last, like, yeah. victory that they had. Which is sad, because I'm pretty sure this is supposed to span through all of summer. Yeah. So. The other, he does say that the other ships had some other victories. Yes. Um, sunk, some, sunk some ships, I think captured one of them, you know, but uh, the Rurisk only had the two encounters that were victories, and then one other encounter as well. But after that capturing of the second ship that was partially burned, uh, he goes out hunting with night eyes. And he's, of course, in a funk like Fitz is wont to do, mm-hmm. like a sine wave, just up and down, up and down repeatedly. And says to night eyes, like, you can leave if you want to, basically. Like, you don't, you know, you can go. And of course, it hurts night eyes feelings. Yes. And... It leaves Fitz wondering yeah. if these ties are worth it, to which Night Eyes assures him they are. Yes. So it's, Because it takes him, like, another hour to explain, like, no, this is not what I meant. Like, yeah. I just, <laughs> for your best interest, if you want, you can go, because I'm stuck doing this stuff. Yeah. Which Fit, Night Eyes would love to take Fitz with him away. Yeah. Because he tried to persuade him to run away again. Yeah. I don't know. It's a. Uh, it was. They say like, like I mentioned before, that was the last clear victory for the Rurisk. It was far from the last battle of the summer. And Fitz is just contemplating the thought of like, every day is a day I might have to kill someone, just to ignore the thought of today is the day I might die. When they're out yeah. on the water. Yeah. And it's just kind of a back and forth there. And he says that even through all this, they. They still don't even know how many red ships are out there and it doesn't matter. They, they have no way to tell. Yeah. They They're were all painted the same. Right. Right. <laughs> they were successful in that where the ship per- patrolled, there was less raids, but also it was still frustrating because there were successful raids in other places and they would get into a town no more than an hour after the ships had left Mm -hmm. and all they could do was help stack bodies or put out fires. And then Verity would roar and curse in my mind that he could not get messages more swiftly, that there were not enough ships and watches to be everywhere. I would have rather faced the fury of a battle than Verity's savage frustration racking through my brain. There was never any end in sight save the respite that bad weather might bring us. We could not even put up an accurate number to the ships that plagued us, for they were painted identically and like peas in a pod, or drops of blood on the sand. And we find out later that the Coterie was delaying messages Mm -hmm. to Verity, and a lot of this could have been prevented. They could have had a lot more battles, they could have sunk a lot more ships, they could have killed a lot more raiders. Yep. But the Coterie... Wants Verity to look incompetent. Yes. It was all to make him look very incompetent, like, just out of reach for everything. And, I mean, their first and only, like, super clean victory was because Fitz daydreamed and skilled, like, oh, there's an attack here. 
Yep. And they were close enough to do something. <laughs> yeah. No, it's frustrating that Verity wouldn't be listening in on these skill calls <laughs> to find. But I guess what does he do if he does find out? How do you confront that? That's a whole can of worms that mm-hmm. he probably wouldn't want to open. So. Oof. But the final event of the summer that is worth note is when it's at night yes and verity senses a red ship lurking off of buck point so very close mm-hmm. and they all rush out from their their bedrolls to get on the boat and start going towards it to defend justin is on the ship skilling to serene in verity's tower and Verity was a wordless mumble in my mind as he felt our way through the dark toward the ship he sensed. And something else? I could feel him groping out beyond the red ship like a man feeling forward in the darkness. I sensed his uneasiness. And they were very quiet. They had to be very quiet. They were trying to sneak up on this red ship. And they see it. And then a sudden cry went up from their deck and they had seen them. Our master shouted to us to lay into our oars, but as we did, a sick wave of fear engulfed me. My heart began to hammer, my hands to tremble. The terror that swept through me was a child's nameless fear of things lurking in the dark, a helpless fear. I gripped my oar, but could find no strength to ply it. Kurikska, I heard a man groan in a thick out-islander accent. I think it was Nange. I became aware I was not the only one unmanned. There was no steady beat to our oars. Some sat on their sea chests, head bowed over their oars, while others rowed frantically but out of rhythm, the blades of the oars skipping and slapping against the water. We skittered on the surface like a crippled skater bug while the red ship forged purposely towards us. I lifted up my eyes and watched my death coming for me. It goes on here, and I'll, and I'll probably read a bunch more of this because this is an extremely interesting couple pages. But I'm wondering off the bat if you had any thoughts of the crippling fear, because we know later on in this scene that the white Fitz is the only one that sees this white ship Mm -hmm. and that's the pale woman ship. And I think Kebel Rawbread is aboard. Um, He's the one who says there's right, right. But he also falls in the water. Like once he repels him. So it's, it's a bunch of things like that where I'm wondering what your take on it is right away. That this is skill-induced fear. Yeah, that's what I think, too. I think it's backed up by the fact that as soon as Kebel Rawbeard... Rawbread. It should be Rawbeard, but it's Rawbread for some reason. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. He's a pirate. <laughs> <laughs> Rawbeard. Anyway, Kebel, as soon as Kebel is repelled and falls in the water, the fear stops. Yeah. Which makes me feel like (laughs) so he's super strong in the skill then like yep it's crazy especially because i'm pretty sure he makes everybody else invisible or him himself and the other boat invisible to the people Mm -hmm. which is wild but that's a little bit ahead Um, it's pretty close though um fitz is 
kind of like looking up and keeps glancing mm-hmm. upwards to seeing his death coming towards him in that red ship raider boat that's coming towards him. Yes. Keeps looking towards the horizon and sees a white ship. Yes. And I do just quick. So Nange says Korikska. Earlier, he is the one who said that the man that Fitz killed was a good man before the Corix took his heart. Mm-hmm. So do you think Fitz is really the only one who saw this white ship? I, I don't think so, unless he knows from the stories the feeling, and he's like associating that with the red ship itself. Interesting. White ship? The red raider ship that's coming towards them. Like if, mm. if Nange is like... Oh, I've heard stories of like this feeling of fear and there's a red ship raider. This is like the but main ship. They've been ship. fighting all summer. And the red ship Not with their... the feeling of fear. That's no. what I'm saying. Like he associates the two together and like, oh, this is like the head. This is the the thing that people have been warning me about. Mm. This is what makes me scared about it. I guess, but there's as far as we know nothing different about this red ship than any other except for the, the feeling, feeling of fear. fear. <laughs> yeah. I guess. That's what I'm saying, like equating the stories together and being like this is the head. Is Cork the name of the tribe? I would that... guess so. Yes. And then Corksco would be like Cork's boat. <laughs> Something, yeah. I don't know if we get much more of the language. Yeah. But Narcheska has the SKA at the end. Mm-hmm. And it could be just like the head oh, that could of like... the Corix kind of thing. Is their family name Narch? No, I don't think so. <laughs> but like, but like, just the SKA could be like an honorific. Oh yeah, you're okay. I see what you're saying. I was like, Narchwall. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, but yeah, I mean, Nange could have seen the white ship. Of course, yeah. that's definitely a possibility because he does warn Fitz later on, like, Not hey, don't speak of a white it. ship. Yeah. That's bad luck. But I don't know if that it's bad luck is a superstition of like there's a there's a boogeyman white ship that kills everyone who's seen it, kind of like the mm-hmm. Black Pearl. And then Captain Jack Sparrow's like, you know, if they kill everyone, if there's no survivors, how do you hear the stories kind of yeah. thing? <laughs> um, or if it's just he sees the red ship and he feels that fear and he's like, this is what I've been warned about. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it could be either one. And honestly, it doesn't really matter. (laughs) I suppose not. I feel like he has something weird about him because he was also like watching Fitz intently during the second win of their second and only win. Yeah. Um, But that's because Fitz Fitz was at the oar the whole time because he was ordered to stay at the oar. Yes. And he was trying to fight off the berserker thing. Right. But I'm just saying, I feel like there's something weird about Nange and he might like have some sort of senses of of his own. Maybe he could. He could be like more open to the skill than other people or the wit or the wit but you don't think that Fitz would be acting weird like growling and gritting his teeth to himself <laughs> like oh my gosh <laughs> that's fair Fitz is always acting weird though in my mind so <laughs> so like I don't I guess I forget that sometimes you can act weirder so beyond the red ship almost glowing on the black water was a white ship this was no raiding vessel this was a ship 
easily three times the size of the red ship, her two sails reefed, riding at anchor on the quiet water. Ghosts strode her deck, or forged ones. I felt no hint of life from them, and yet they moved purposefully, readying a small boat to be lowered over the side. A man stood on the afterdeck. The moment I saw him, I could not look away. He was cloaked in gray, and yet I saw him limed against the dark sky as clearly as if a lantern illuminated him. I swear I could see his eyes, the jut of his nose, the dark curly beard that framed his mouth. He laughed at me. Here's one come to us, he called out to someone and lifted a hand. He pointed it at me and laughed aloud again, and I felt my heart squeeze in my chest. He looked at me with a terrible singleness, as if I alone of our crew were his prey. I looked back at him and I saw him, but I could not sense him. And he is alone. He says that he screams there, there, or maybe he shouts it in the scale he can't tell. But there is no sense of anyone, no verity, no night eyes. All the world was silent and still. Around me, my crew fellows rattled with terror and cried out loud, but I felt nothing. They were no longer there. No one was there. No gull, no fish in the sea, no life anywhere, as far as any of my inner senses would reach. So he snuffs out the wit. Which is a very interesting thing that I wasn't aware the skill could do. Yeah. Do you think that's why Fitz can't sense the people on the deck or Rob, Rob Red? I think so, but also aren't all of the servants later on and as Levjal partially forged? Mm. I think they like perfected the most of the the stuff is out, but like they obey the pale woman still because all the guards are. Yeah, that seems right. I'm not 100% sure. So like, I think he like detects a very faint flickering of life or something in Mm -hmm. them but it's not like it's not anything he could detect from a long ways away right so it could be just a complete quelling of his wit ability or it could just be them being partially forged and not him not being able to detect anything but is kebble partially forged i know she forges or starts to forge him at the end i don't know if she continues to forge him like, starts, like, from the yeah. beginning. Well, because Fitz can't see him from this far away. Right, right. So. Yeah, I'm not sure. Me either. Fitz uh, repels at it in a reflex that he did not know he had. He used the wit to push away from it as hard as he could. Physically, he was the one that flew backward, landing in the bilge atop the thwarts, tangled in the feet of the other oarsmen. I saw the figure on the ship stumble, sag, and then tumble over the side. Splash was not large, but there was only one. If he rose to the surface at all, I did not see it. Nor was there time to look for him, because the red ship hit us amidships, shattering our oars, sending oarsmen flying. The out-islanders were shouting with their confidence, mocking us with their laughter as they leaped from their ship to ours. I scrabbled to my feet and lunged to my bench, reaching for my axe. Around me, the others were making the same sort of recovery. We were not battle-ready, but neither were we paralyzed by fear anymore. Steel met our borders, and battle was joined. So he repels Kebel Robred. Kebel 
feels that reverberation or at least like a shattering of some sort of link mm-hmm. and collapses off the side of the ship and it releases everybody on his ship on Fitz's ship mm-hmm. to grab their weapons and start to fight. Yeah. And it's interesting. We know that the repel thing can happen across distance and it's not a, like he doesn't have to physically touch someone to repel them. Um, because this has happened before and like with certain animals and Beric. Usually he's closer. Yes. He's not as far away as I presume this ship is from Fitz, but, um, it's just incredible how far the reach went and maybe it's because he's super powerful now. And also, um, in times of great need. (laughs) Yeah. It also could be because of the skill link was directly blanketing his mind Mm. and Cavalrob Red. Kevel Robred was like specifically targeting him and linked to him. So right. it like made it, I don't know. Yeah. Super weird. It's just. This scene is, is incredibly weird because we don't know. We literally know nothing about the skill at this point in a first time read or a 10th time <laughs> read. Yeah. To determine if what he was doing is even humanly possible. With right. Like the amount of skill somebody could have. Well, I was wondering if. Maybe this is partially wit-based. I, There's no way to tell, and it's probably not. I, I don't not. think so. I think it's mainly skill, because I remember hearing later, or reading later, that Kevil Robred is, like, radiating skill power mm. when they fight him. Yeah. Do you think that he drank some of the dragon spit? They don't get close enough. They, no, 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 no. You know how later in the books, the one boy, the white boy, who keeps calling B his brother. Vindelier? Yes. Or Vin- Vindelier or something? Yes. He has the ability, the white's ability, because he drinks the, like, slime from the cave of the trap. Oh, the serpents? Yes. The serpent mm. slime or whatever. Maybe... Maybe. Maybe the pale woman brought some? Yes, because it would... Enhance his abilities to do stuff? Oh, that's interesting. That could definitely be possible, actually. Because if he's, like, radiating skill, and the out-islanders aren't necessarily known for great skill abilities that we know of. Yeah. Maybe his own was enhanced by... I like that. Yeah. I don't know. Just, I don't know why that came to my mind right now, but... (laughs) So they fight in pitch black night on the water and the red ship disengages once they realize they're not paralyzed by fear that Mm -hmm. they're fighting back and they leave some of their crew on the buck on the Rurisk Mm -hmm. and the master of the ship is like, go after them. We need to chase them. We need to, you know, kill them all. But half their oars are broken, and they need to redistribute things and get everything situated. By the time that they do, they can't hear anything. They don't know where the ship went. Yep. And Fitz says, um, Even more strange to me was when what I spoke aloud. The white ship was at anchor, but she's gone too. Around me, heads turned to stare at me. White ship? Are you all right, Fitz? A red ship, boy. It was a red ship we fought. Speak not of a white ship. To see a white ship is to see your own death. Bad luck. 
This last was hissed to me by Nange. I opened my mouth to object that I had seen an actual ship, not some vision of disaster. He shook his head at me and then turned away to stare out over the empty water. I closed my mouth and sat down slowly. No one else had seen it. Nor did any of the others speak of the terrible fear that had gripped us and changed our battle plans to panic. When we got back to town that night, the way it was told in the taverns was that we had come up on the ship, engaged battle, only to have the red ship flee us. No evidence remained of that encounter but some shattered oars, some injuries, and some out-islander blood on our decks. Verity and Night Eyes, neither of them had seen anything either when Fitz asked them privately, and Verity told him that Fitz had excluded him as soon as we sighted the other vessel. Mm-hmm. Night Eyes was miffed to admit that I had completely closed myself to him as well. And Nange would say nothing to me of the white ships. He was not m- much for conversation on any topic. Fitz does mention later that he finds a mention of a white ship in an old scroll um, of legends, of old legends. That it was an accursed ship where the souls of drowned sailors unworthy of the sea would work forever for a merciless master. Which is interesting, and I like the little uh, Davy Jones illusion. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is the reason the pale woman paints the ship white, right? I think so, yeah. Because the out-islanders would know the story because mm-hmm. they are still on the sea regularly. And it would drive fear into them. Yeah, but it's super strange because the whole crew doesn't remember the fear. They don't right. remember the white ship. And all they remember is the story that they all told at the taverns. Yep. No one's contradicting this. Yeah, they're like, well, obviously we fought Yeah. the red ship. And the red ships ran. That's what we saw. Yeah. Which is really interesting. I wonder why. I mean, I guess the skill. The skill. The skill altered their brain. It's like the Men in Black Flash thing. (laughs) (laughs) Weird. Fitz goes on in saying that the rest of the summer, red ships evaded the Rurisk. They would catch sight, give chase, but never managed to run one down. Once it was our good fortune to chase one that had just raided. She threw her captives overboard to lighten herself and fled us. Of twelve folk they threw in, we rescued nine and returned them unforged to their village. Three who drowned before we reached them were mourned, but all agreed it was a better fate than forging. Other ships had much the same luck. Constance came upon raiders in the midst of attacking a village. They didn't get a quick victory, but had the foresight to damage the beached red ships so that the raiders could not make a clean escape. Took days to hunt them all down, for they scattered into the woodlands when they saw what had been done to their ship. And the other vessels had similar experiences. Gave chase, drove off raiders, and there's even a few successes at sinking raiding vessels, but they didn't capture any more intact ships that summer. Mm-hmm. So forgings were reduced, but Fitz has it as a as a double-edged sword here. In one sense, we brought hope to the folk of the six duchies. In another way, we gave them despair, for despite all we did, we could not drive the threat of the raiders from our shore. Yeah. And, it, and it's true. Like, they, they try so hard, and they had some successes, but then ultimately, as the summer wears on, those don't continue, and it gets more and more futile. Mm-hmm. It's just... For the people, this is what they were promised. This is what we do. This is the end of the war. We're going to drive them back to their shores, and then they can't even keep them safe anymore, even. They just chase them off. Right. It's just... Which, 
partially well i would say like 90 percent on the coterie but yes and i don't understand how they think regal is going to be this great tactician why wouldn't they let verity handle it and get rid of him and then kill him right before victory so that regal could say actually i've been the one directing it the whole time so because my brother's been so sickly so it'll be great that I'm stepping in because I saved you all. And then he would get everybody on his side because he's the one who saved. That'd be nice. Yeah, no. Of course he can't, like, do something good with his evil actions. (laughs) Fitz talks about how this whole summer was a time of terrible isolation and incredible closeness. Verity was with him pretty much 24-7 for a lot of it except for immediately after battles yeah verity's aware of the amount of emotions plaguing fits which i feel like this may point to verity not knowing that fits is witted because his idea is that fits is so strong in the skill that he's susceptible to everyone else around him and so he verity has decided that there's just too many people that are open to skill ability around Fitz and it messes with his brain and overwhelms him. And I, I don't know if that fully, you know, says that Verity doesn't know he's witted. He could still have an idea, but just not know what being witted means. Right. Which is entirely possible because even if his mom was witted she wasn't gonna say anything she would have been drawn and quartered it's (laughs) right it's even further in the past than Fitz is Mm -hmm. that's fair and it's usually around animal senses not or like talked about in a sense of of becoming an animal yes basically like humans are affected by the wit right it's not it's not you know all living beings are connected it's you will turn into a beast. <laughs> yeah. Let Fitz use whatever tools he has to keep the kingdom safe for now because we we need it. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but since he was so connected to Verity, Fitz could feel the skill hunger that Verity felt. He knew intimately how addicted Verity is to this. And he relates a little story the second time in this chapter that he mentions Carrie. One was when he was reminiscing about how Carrie, his friend from Buckheap Town, was one of the boys bringing the pennies, the messengers, mm-hmm. and now he's a forged one. And this time it's a story about Carrie where he and Carrie climbed up a cliff and Carrie mentioned that there was an almost overwhelming impulse to fling himself off. I think this was akin to what Verity felt. The pleasure of the skill enticed him, and he longed to fling all of himself, every ounce of his being, out into its web. His close contact with me only fed it. Yeah, And this is a real thing that happens to some people. It's like your brain's coping mechanism. Whenever you're on a tall building looking down, your brain can't handle the like sensation of danger. And so it thinks the easiest way to get you out of danger is to just throw yourself off the building, which is like a really weird psychological thing that your brain can do not everyone has this but some people do it's also the same as like whenever you see a train coming and like there's a sudden urge to like drive in front of it or whatever it's just like a weird thing your brain does (laughs) where it's like the only option is death (laughs) 
<laughs> which is not linked to depression or anything. It's just like a weird quirk <laughs> that our brains have. Right. Yeah. It's, um, oh, it has a name too. Mm-hmm. I can't think of the name, but it's, it's definitely like, it's also the same as if you're driving and you have an, you know, an urge to just like yank the wheel in yep. one direction. Like it's, it's all just weird, weird, weird brain little urges. <laughs> yep. Call of the void. The call of the void. Yes. Um, so yeah, he, he has this little analogy with Carrie there and we get the same feeling from Fitz later, especially mm-hmm. in these interludes after these books where he's talking about, you know, just staring out over the sea on his bench on the cliff. Yes. And his willingness to just let go and become one with the skill stream yeah. and all of this. It's the same feelings that Verity was feeling this whole time. And he says that he witnesses how Verity is wasting away, too, because he has no appetites because mm-hmm. he's skilling so much again. It's the summer. I do not know that it was good to know someone so well. Night Eyes was jealous and said so plainly. At least with him, it was open anger about being slighted, as he saw it. It was more difficult thing with Molly. She could see no real reason why I had to be away so much. Why did I, of all people, have to crew on one of the warships? The reason I was able to give her that Verity wished me to satisfied her not at all. Our brief times together begun to have a, began to have a predictable pattern. We would come together in a storm of passion, find peace in each other's briefly, which, uh, which I think is like just speaking on you know their hopes and dreams and little, little mm. pillow talk kind of thing. Sure. And then began to wrangle about things, which I assume would just gradually lead to right. arguments. <laughs> she was lonely and hated being a servant. The little bit of money she could set aside for herself grew terribly slowly. She missed me. Why did I have to be gone so much when I was the only thing that made her life bearable? Fitz, you know, offers her the money, basically, that he's been making, and she's affronted because she wants, she has a ton of pride. Yep. (laughs) A fault (laughs) of pride. Yes. Well, I do want to take a second to talk about how, as much as I berate Fitz for not being logical, Molly also is a child in this and is also not being logical. She doesn't understand why the king in waiting has more authority over Fitz than a lady's maid. And it's, I can, I can kind of see her point though. Like once she figures out that Fitz is the Royal bastard, he's literally part of the Royal family. Why is he being sent on a warship kind of thing when they already have, you know, all these warriors and stuff like that. And, Right. But also, I don't know. It's wartime and he's right. an eligible young man <laughs> who could help. Like they need the bodies to help. And I don't know. I it's I don't like to admit Molly has faults, but <laughs> the way she like also is unrealistic about what's going on and she's so unyielding too. Like she she doesn't want to hear the answer that Fitz is giving her, which, to be fair, is not full of truth. So right. <laughs> it's half-truths. And maybe it's partially that she can tell something's off. Like, that can't be the only reason. And he lies to her a lot. So <laughs> yeah. I'm sure she doesn't have a ton of trust that he's always telling her the truth. So He's good at lying, though. He is good at lying. So maybe. But I don't know. I feel like in some ways I don't want to falter too much because... 
she also isn't being told the full truth ever and like it's not her fault and she is a teenager too but i'm harsh on fits all the time and he's a teenager so they're both very dumb yes they both make (laughs) poor decisions and are blinded by things that at least molly is relatively honest about everything true but we see here fits at the end of this i still had never found the moment in which to reveal shrewd's plans for serity celerity and me Yep. We were apart so much, we lost the threads of one another's day-to-day lives. And when we did come together, we were always rechewed the bitter rinds, rechewed the bitter rinds of the same arguments over and over. One day, he recounts that he goes to her and she's wearing very pretty earrings. And, and red she, ribbons. And, yeah, and red ribbons. And she looks beautiful and uh, complimented. he compliments her on the earrings. Artlessly, she told me that when Prince Regal had last come to buy candles of her, he had gifted her with them. For he said he was so pleased with what she created that he scarcely felt he paid her what such finely scented candles were worth. She smiled proudly as she told me this, her fingers toying with my warrior's cue, while her own hair and ribbons tangled wildly upon the pillows. I did not know what she saw in my face, but it widened her eyes and she drew back from me. They have an argument here uh, about Regal, and Fitz is cold, and it's like, you're going to take earrings from Regal, but not money from me. Great. That's yeah. that's awesome. And it says he teetered on the edge of treason, trying to like not call him names and stuff, <laughs> which is funny, but also just tell her the truth, Fitz. Right. Um, I, get, I get it. It's also like state secrets but yes <laughs> but again i'm gonna have to side with fitz on this one fitz has tried to tell molly that regal isn't what he seems he is dangerous and is cunning mm-hmm. and will use her to get to fitz and has told her as like that much he hasn't told her everything and maybe that would make it more clear as to why she should stay away from regal but he is telling, like, trying to, in his own way, protect her. And she's like, yeah, yeah, you're just jealous. I'm going to keep receiving gifts from yeah. your hot uncle. Like, it's a little frustrating. But also, to her point, she won't accept gifts from him because, like, gifts of money from him because, number one, he's not one of her clients. Yeah. And number two, they're going to be married someday, so it's already hers in her mind, probably. Well, way. also, like... Why would you refuse a gift from the prince? And also, do you not think my work is worth these extra gifts, Fitz? <laughs> right. Which is super not mm, a great response. Not the point. I hate, I hate that argument. Yes. Like, okay, just admit that you know you're wrong and you feel a little bad. <laughs> but Fitz doesn't really have a very good reaction either. Because no, then he insinuates that the only reason Regal did give her the earrings was to make Fitz mad. Yeah, and that's and, where she comes with the, do you think my work isn't good enough kind of thing? Right. Yeah. Which so. it is said that in the culture, when a tradesperson is good at their job, they receive gifts from their patrons regularly. So maybe this is really about like. It does say that? Yeah. Did I miss that? Um. What should I have said to him? No, sir, I cannot accept your largesse until you marry me. There's not between your eagle and me 
what there is between us. There's a prerequisite from a customer, such as oh, yeah, is yeah. often given to a skilled craftsman. Why do you think that he gave them to me in exchange for my favors? Right, right. Which also, Fitz isn't saying that he thinks he's trying to get in your pants or that you would sleep with him because he's giving you gifts. He's just mad that Regal is the one who gave you the gift. Right, right. And she's like, oh, what a typical jealous boy. And it's like, Molly. I don't know. So they don't, they, they try to mend things as well as they can, but... They only have a few hours. Yeah, Fitz is like, but a mended pot is never as sound as a whole one, and I return to the ship as lonely as if I had no time at all with her. He mentions also that when he thinks of nothing at all, or tries to think nothing of all, and when he's rowing, he often misses Jade and Patience and Lacey and Ketrikan and even Birik. And the few times that he was able to call on the queen-in-waiting, he always found her on the tower-top garden. It was a beautiful place, but despite her efforts, it was nothing like the other Buckkeep Gardens had ever been. There was too much of the mountains in her for her to ever convert entirely to our ways. He could have meditated calmly there, but it was not a place to loll in the warm wind of summer, and I suspected that was how Verity had recalled it. She has arranged things very sparsely, very cleanly, clean mm-hmm. lines and everything. It just wasn't indulgent or super comforting to just kind of relax in. It was right. just a peaceful place. Right. She kept herself busy there and enjoyed it, but it did not bond her to Verity as she had once believed it would. And he describes how she has a pretty much perpetual worry um furrowed in her forehead that when she has a smooth face she has lines there because they are not tanned mm-hmm. so she's just preoccupied anxious and when she did get the chance to talk to fitz she quizzed him as soundly as verity would have on his goings on on the risk yep because she still wants to do stuff yeah. <laughs> and she brings up a very valid point there has to be a final solution. Nothing, no one can go on like this. There must be a way to make an end of this. Autumn storms come soon, my lady queen. Already frost has touched some of your vines. Storms are never far behind the first chilling. And with them comes peace for us. Peace? Ah, she snorted in disbelief. Is it peace to lie awake and wonder who will die next? Where will they be next year? That is not peace. That is a torture. There must be a way to put an end to the red ships, and I intend to find it. Her words sounded almost like a threat. And she's going to be looking at the elderlings soon. Yep. Well, I'm glad somebody's thinking of the future. Yeah. Because none of the Farseer men seem to want to. (laughs) They're all just thinking in the now, which is great and all, but... Ketrickan has a point. What about in the future? Is this Mm -hmm. just how every summer is going to be for the rest of of time? No, it can't possibly be. Yeah, can't last that long. No. Long chapter. Yes. A lot of things happen. A lot of small scenes in Mm -hmm. this. We skimmed over even a few of them. Just like small things. And a lot has happened. This took us all the way through to the end of summer from winter. Mm-hmm. So this is a, a full year, I think somewhere in here. Um, 
Fitz describes his shoulders filling out and he like is liking how he's looking because he's rowing all the time and Molly's liking how he's looking because uh-huh. he's getting buff. And... Before they're fighting all the time. Yes. <laughs> uh, in the fit of passion beforehand, before mm-hmm. their, their fights. Yeah. But this is taking us towards another winter and they'll have a little bit of a respite here. Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's sad to see. I think... I don't like this chapter because of how poorly it makes me think of Molly. <laughs> you also told me before we started recording that you hate the ship part. I like do. Just... I don't. I don't know. I love the live ship books, but I do not like this monotonous rowing. And it literally lasts for like five paragraphs I in this know, chapter. But I don't know what it is about this chapter, but it seems so long to me. I don't like reading about them on ships. I don't know what it is about fits on a ship, but not impressed. <laughs> Give me Althea any day. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I just I don't love feeling negative feelings towards my favorite characters. And I know that Molly grows up. This is reasonable also they're like teenagers and sometimes teenage love doesn't work and that's fine most of the time teenage love does not work unfortunately but you know that doesn't mean that after they grow up they can't come back together and have a more healthy relationship um well yeah yes somewhat more healthy relationship yes it's still has lies in it but Fitz still needs time to grow up because he gets his you know 20 year old hormones and feelings back because he locked them away in a dragon statue right but (laughs) yeah I just think it's hard to see so many people at odds with Fitz yeah and I don't like Fitz being at odds with everybody and having such a hard time this isn't a fun time in his life He's at war. He's right. a soldier right now, and that's not fun for anybody. So, I don't know. Not my favorite chapter. <laughs> also, probably not Fitz's. So. No, yeah, probably not Fitz's. <laughs> I'd say he's decidedly not happy. Thank you so much for tuning in this week for this episode. If you have any comments on any of the this whole long chapter... Please let us know at isfitshappy at gmail.com or hit us up on social media at isfitshappy. We're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and also on Reddit. You can go to reddit.com slash r slash Robin Hobb, and our episodes are posted there. Mm-hmm. You can comment on things, and it's a great community anyways. Just be careful about spoilers, because they do have a very strict spoiler policy for people reading through the series for the yes. first time. <laughs> Okay, so we got quite a few shout outs this week. Makes sense. Long chapter. Lots of shout outs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, seems to happen that way most of the time, which is kind of funny. So this week we're going to start with some Instagram shout outs. Thank you to Candy Lane. They sent us an article that gave them real life feels towards um, Ketrickin's plight. And how successful Ketrickin was as a leader by bringing up the things that are hard to talk about. Yeah. So we want to thank you for that. We appreciated it. Also like reading articles about real life that parallel a book. (laughs) (laughs) Um, This book has certainly had more real life parallels 
this time around for me, but probably just the era I'm reading it in in my life. <laughs> true, true. Changes every time you reread it. Yes. Um, and next, we want to shout out Ben. He sent us a very interesting message, which is mirrored in a Facebook comment we got. So I'll bring that one up next. But Ben was talking about how the fixes and changes behavior might not be a magical phenomenon. And this is towards his feelings of loyalty towards the six duchies folk right. that we've been speaking on a couple times. Yes. Just wanted to give context. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> um, and Ben's explanation for this is that it could just be life changes that were eye opening for Fitz. Just it's exposure to new perspectives and maybe Fitz doesn't act with selfless commitment of Verity or the royal entitlement of Shrewd before having skill exposure to Verity and Shrewd because he just didn't have access to that kind of perspective. He had no idea that was an option, let alone what it would involve or how the world would look on those terms. So perhaps seeing how his uncle moves through the world and understands it gives him access to new perspective. Which is a really interesting thought. Yeah, because it's not necessarily a magic influence that is shifting how Fitz reacts to the world. It could literally just be an eye-opening experience for a young boy, mm-hmm. and it gives him a different way to look at it and a right. different way to react to his stimuli around him. Yeah, which is very fair and is echoed by a comment on Facebook by Irene who says... The change feels real because something traumatic just happened to Fitz. He lived through the Forged One's attack in the woods, attacking a child, and he can actually feel the feelings of others. It takes hours for him to collect himself after hearing the scream of the mother. So they always assumed that the... It was a little tour with Verity plus firsthand experience of what common folk must endure that brought him to change his mind. But in my opinion, it's all strictly related to his wit and seal that allow him to have the connection with other life forms. And can only imagine what that could mean for your personal emotional stability. (laughs) Also, he's a teenager, and I think he's allowed to change his opinion every two minutes like all the teenagers (laughs) do, which is also a very valid point. (laughs) Yes. Yes, it is. You know, when you're a teenager, you're just finding yourself. So and he's finding himself in the middle of a war. He is a teenager that is growing up with a lot of scary stuff happening. So it is technically not that magical for him to go one second from thinking only of his love to uh, the next excited to go to war for his people. Um, I do sometimes get carried away, I think, with looking for magical explanations for things that are a little normal. (laughs) (laughs) But sometimes it's more fun that way, you know? But this this is one instance where um, the people have spoken. <laughs> there may be a more normal explanation, and it might just be that Fitz is a teenager, and he's just learning more experiences. Yeah, definitely. Also on Facebook, we have a message from Ellen, and this is about chapter 19 when Fitz goes to the fool's room. Uh, yeah, this is the first book. Yeah, first book. (laughs) Chapter 19. Sorry. But they point out that the fool is always marked as the scentless one. 
and Fitz, on a hot, stuffy, sweaty day, goes up to his room. I would not at all be surprised if the fool could smell that somebody had been there and probably remembers and recognizes Fitz's smell. (laughs) Which I did not even think about the fact (laughs) that this is no deodorant wearing time period. (laughs) So, yeah, that makes a lot of sense, actually. Sense. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. (laughs) That's a pretty good one. (laughs) Pardon my pun. But, um, no, I thought that was a really funny addition that um, probably just, it smells really bad like teenage boys do. (laughs) You climbed up a tower all that way. In the middle of summer. Yeah. Yeah. And also, who else would go up there? So, like, if it smells like stinky boy (laughs) and nothing is out of place. (laughs) Right. Uh, But that was a very funny. Thank you, uh, Ellen. That made me laugh. And finally, for Facebook, we have Carrie's comment, which is kind of talking about the potential of Verity skilling into Fitz different emotions This is for episode 41. About Winterfest. About Winterfest, yeah. And how Fitz doesn't realize that Verity is still riding in his mind. He only realizes it because Verity wasn't trying to hide it anymore. So Carrie's saying that Galen's coterie would be way sneakier and could potentially use Fitz's relative clueness to spy on him and skill suggest when they could. Um, Carrie had a theory er, that we talked about earlier um, that potentially skill the coterie is skilling Fitz to act more erratically, which is why later this book he kind of makes all the wrong decisions. Um, that potentially that's influence from the skill, and that this is their evidence that potentially they could do it, and Fitz wouldn't even know, and us as the reader wouldn't know because if Fitz doesn't know, we can't. Right. Right. Um, and so when Fitz is in Shrewd's room mm-hmm. and we were discussing, you know, is Shrewd skilling here? What would he be doing? Because Fitz gets dizzy or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, she's saying that Shrewd was withdrawing at that moment, barely able to pull it together to make the exchange. I think if Fitz would have found uh, would have been more confident he could have followed that link and found the skill coterie doing their thing to weaken shrewd but instead we just get his surface sensation and response which is possible but i always thought like the the coterie members had to be kind of nearby to do that draining i mean galen does yeah I don't know. I don't know either. Because uh, he's we don't weak know now. Enough. We know he's weaker now, so. I'm going to say my litany. We don't know enough. <laughs> I refrain. We don't know enough, and we are almost always unsure that we are right. <laughs> yes, exactly. But it's super interesting because the uh, riding along with someone and looking out their eyes and spying on them is kind of what happens with the fool later on when mm-hmm. they're at the quarry or... You know, yes, walking yeah. around with Verity, uh, the fool gets Fitz to say stuff and then walks away because the coterie's directing what the fool does, basically. Yep. Yeah. And he, and that's the whole like situation where the fool betrays Fitz. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, that's a good point. Mm-hmm. 
But Fool seems to be aware that they're doing that. Which, interesting that the Fool is affected at all, considering he is not technically human. So... You can still be touched by the skill, though. We learn that multiple times throughout the whole series. They're yeah. they're linked, they can skill heal, everything like that. Mm-hmm. I guess. It just feels odd. I don't know. I mean, dragons have the skill. They, I you can guess. Affect, like, I don't know. You can affect <laughs> sentient beings with it. Yeah. Fair enough. And finally, we have a have an email from Krista. Thank you so much for emailing in. And they're speaking on how the relationship goes with with Fitz and Shrewd. We're kind of talking about that briefly mm-hmm. as well. And it was about again chapter fourteen of this book of Royal Assassin Winterfest and that conversation that Fitz and Shrewd had. And I think Emma and I were just speaking on like what's it like what is like the relationship and what is uh Yeah. How how they react to each other. And Krista's saying that they think of it how Fitz regards Verity as a father figure, while Shrewd is the mysterious, vague, grandfatherly figure in his life. I only saw my grandfather a couple times a year, and he was cool to me, so he was a mysterious, vague figure in my life like that. I get the same vibes from Shrewd with Fitz. So it's just like that that guy you don't really see super often, and he's like, has, you know, he has power, he's kind of cool, he's an elder, uh-huh. and whenever you meet with him, he's like, oh, I'll listen to what this guy says. <laughs> yeah, that is a very interesting take. But you're not, like, super close, Yeah, you know? yeah. yeah. Definitely, I enjoy this uh the idea that shrewd is a grandfatherly figure at all yeah (laughs) because to me too he's a mystic old man (laughs) he's the king (laughs) i don't know um so it's good to be reminded he is indeed a grandfather and then the second point was krista says that they don't think that the fool is on the fence regarding fits that you know fits regards the fool as a merely a friend but the fool is there to find Fitz, to use Fitz as the catalyst and everything mm-hmm. like that. And I definitely agree with that. I think my personal argument about with that conversation was that the fool is unsure of him as a friend, is unsure of him as right. what it develops into because we know this kind of becomes an unrequited love story with the fool and Fitz Mm -hmm. because the fool says multiple times like I have no boundaries on our love or my love for you yes but the whole time Fitz is like well I don't know what that means don't don't make me uncomfortable uh so so I I think that's where I'm coming from with that discussion is that yes the fool the fool is sure that he has to use Fitz to shape his future as he wants he's just unsure if they're gonna have a good relationship or if the fool is gonna have to just keep on this charade if if he is gonna genuinely like fits in the future or not right and i think i think he's on the verge i think he does kind of like him but he doesn't quite know where he stands right yeah i don't think he's fully developed into that deep relationship but i also like krista pointed out that uh, Fitz constantly overlooks how important this, the fool is. So the fool knows yeah, how important yeah. Fitz is to the story, but Fitz constantly is pushing aside fool's importance by ignoring him or putting off what he says. And I thought that was a really interesting point of Fitz sees him as a friend, sure, but not as a very important one. 
Well, important in the sense that he's a friend and Fitz doesn't have very many. Right. <laughs> Fair <laughs> but, enough. But I guess from like reader's terms, he's not important to the plot, according right. to Fitz. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But he does have those couple of sides. He's like, how much of this was arranged by the fool? You know, yeah. like when he was speaking he, of the other He does think and... of it, but I still don't think he fully grasps. No, he doesn't. He's, <laughs> does he Fitz a... ever truly grasp how important the fool is? He has a couple epiphanies, but that's about it. <laughs> and then like two chapters later, he's like, never mind. <laughs> no. Well, thank you all so much for writing in. We really enjoy seeing your comments and hearing your ideas. It's a ton of fun just to think of all the different possibilities. It's fun when people disagree with us. I don't know. I I may seem very quick to jump on any bandwagon that comes my way, (laughs) but I do still want to believe in the magical aspects of this book, but I do find value in other people's reading of this work. And I enjoy hearing the perspectives that I myself can't get reading it alone right yeah Um, and i think that's been my favorite part of making this podcast is getting to hear other people's interpretations or just having you guys be like oh i've never thought of it that way so it's fun to open up interpretations to others and it's i've really enjoyed our little community to do so (laughs) yeah thanks so much 